Um, really good to see you all. So I don't know if you've ever thought about what's actually happening to you when you're listening to a sermon or um, when you're thinking about how you learn and how you develop and how you change. So I'm just going to explain something to you very quickly. Then we're going to get the reading and then I'm going to pop back. Is that okay? So I'm going to use these very special sheets that are on the wall. These are um, static white paper. Very cool. Okay, so the first thing, and I'm making up a word here, but if anyone is a word police in here, okay, um, you can tell me if this is really bad. The first word is personalization. Is that real? Yes, it's real. Okay, I'm an American today, we're fine. Um, so the first thing when you're learning is this, that you have to be present to what is being talked about or what's in front of you or what's happening to you. Okay. So you, it's about you being present to it. Okay. And that means that you're like more likely to take something in. So that's the first thing. Nervous to write walls for the school. The second thing that happens is this. Disruption. I know that's a word, and that's the English spelling, just in case you're wondering. Disruption. Um, disruption, when we're learning something, when we're hearing something, disruption is when you feel there's like a challenge that comes. Like you hear something that is different to something that you have ever heard before, okay? And it feels a little bit awkward. And what can often happen with some people is when that awkward bit comes, they push it away. Next bit is reflection. Okay, reflection. And um, often um, this is where we have to take a moment to think about what's being said and instead of deflecting it, we hold on to it. Have you ever um, had someone critique you about something and then you go, well, they're a liar inside your head, rather than going, oh, I just wonder if there's just any ounce of truth in what's been said. And the next thing is realization. And realization is the, oh, that's what that is. That's what that is. And you realize that the new thing you've been hearing about, oh, it's the aha. Do you remember them? It's the ah, show my age, the aha moment. Oh, take me on. Um, and the last one, this is really important, because none of this is worth anything without this bit. Action. Action. Those five phases really matter as we think about why, especially for us here as Oasis Waterloo, why we preach. Um, Tobin Hart is an educationist. He wrote about six layers of learning. Sorry about the screen, by the way. 
problem with the cable. Um, information, knowledge, intelligence, and then understanding wisdom and transformation. Following Jesus is not about having the top three things on there nailed. It's not about compliance with a set of nice, neat beliefs. Following Jesus is an invitation to a way of life and a way of being. And sometimes, some of us have grown up in a system of church where the preach can be more like a lecture and a set of propositions where there's a whole load of knowledge that we're told. There can even be a pointing finger. But a preach, a preach becomes what it should be when it moves to a different and deeper level. And you start to engage in understanding and and the possibility of transformation. It engages our hearts and our soul. And it starts to make our minds explode with new possibilities. Now, before we hear the reading, I don't know if there are any sermons that you really do remember. I mean, obviously mine, if you're part of the church here. No, no one agreed. Brilliant. Um, uh, There's one in particular that um, has stuck with me for a very, very long time. I want to tell you about it. I was 20 years old, so that's 29 29 years ago. I was sat next to my mum. She was on my left. I can remember it really clearly. I can even tell you what I was wearing, which I'm not going to admit to. But um, my mum was sat on my left-hand side. I was at at university, and this was um, during the holiday. I'd just been on placement, a teaching practice in Accrington, where I'd had the opportunity for the first time ever to work with a community that was different in ethnicity to the one that I'd come from, and it was the most incredible experience. And then I had the opportunity to work in uh, what can only be described as a little version of hell on an estate in Blackburn, and it had blown my mind and everything that had ever been told to me. So I'm at this, um, listening to this person speak with my mum on my left-hand side. And the guy who was speaking, he'd got like a bit of a mullet. And I'd never seen this guy before. I'd heard about him, but I'd never seen him speak before. And he was on a stage and he was wearing a leather jacket. I can remember the leather jacket. And this guy starts talking about his journey to work. And it was quite an elaborate telling of the story. He mentioned the car that he drove in. It was a Renault. And he talks about this journey to work where he turns down this road. And on either side of the road are high-density flats. And he paints this picture with the words that he's using 
about what it means to live in those flats. And then he says, it's called the Aylesbury Estate. And then this person speaking says, you see, the trouble is that for a lot of us, we have a spirituality which is more like Star Trek, a beam me up Scotty mentality. But what if preaching the good news actually means being it and bringing it in places like the Aylesbury Estate? So Steve Chalk was the speaker (laughs) with his mullet. (laughs) and a different leather jacket but a leather jacket (laughs) see something happens in a preach where it connects with you and you become truly present to it because your story and it connect and there's something sacred and there's something truly invitational that happens So why uh, do we preach and why does it matter to us? Dave, do you want to come and lead? So this is Acts and it's from the Message Translation, Acts chapter 17, 16 to 34. The longer Paul waited in Athens for Silas and Timothy, the angrier he got. All those idols, the city was a junkyard of idols. He discussed it with the Jews and other like-minded people at their meeting place. And every day he went out onto the streets and talked with anyone who happened along. He got to know some of the Epicureans and the Stoic intellectuals well through conversations. Some of them dismissed him with sarcasm, saying, what an airhead. But others listening to him go on about Jesus and the resurrection were intrigued. That's a new slant on the gods. Tell us more. These people got together and asked him to make a public presentation over at the Areopagus, where things were a little quieter. They said, this is a new one on us. We've never heard anything quite like it. Where did you come up with this anyway? Explain it so that we can understand. Downtown Athens was a great place for gossip. There were always people hanging around, natives and tourists alike, waiting for the latest tidbit on most anything. So Paul took his stand in the open space at the Areopagus and laid it out for them. He said, it's plain to see that you Athenians take your religious seriously. When I arrived here the other day, I was fascinated with all the shrines I came across. And then I found one inscribed to the God nobody knows. I'm here to introduce you to the God so that you can worship intelligently, know who you're dealing with. The God who made the world and everything in it, this master of the sky and land, doesn't live in a custom-made shrine or need the human race to run errands for him as if he couldn't take care of it himself. He makes the creatures. The creatures don't make him. Starting from scratch, he made the entire human race and made the earth hospitable with plenty of time and space for living so we could seek after God and not just grope around in the dark but actually find him. He doesn't play hide-and-seek with us. He's not remote. He's near. We live and move in him, can't get away from him. One of the poets, one of your poets, said it well. We're the God created. Well, if we are the God created, it doesn't make a lot of sense to think that we can hire a sculptor to chisel a God out of stone for us, does it? God overlooks it as long as you don't know any better, but that time is past. The unknown is now known, and he's calling for radical life change. He set a day when the entire human race will be judged and everything set right. And he has already appointed the judge, confirming 
him before everyone by raising him from the dead. At that phrase, raising him from the dead, the listeners split. Some laughed at him and walked off making jokes. Others said, let's do this again, we want to hear some more. But that was it for the day and Paul left. There were still others, it turned out, who were convinced then and there and stuck with Paul. Among them Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris. Well done with the long words. <laughs> so Paul is in, um, Paul is in Athens, and uh, it's the cultural and philosophical centre of the ancient world. And there's a, a saying that used to be said about Athens, which were that there was more gods there than men. Um, the Areopagus was the meeting place for the council. It was a prominent rock, an open space. Um, and the council, the court of justice, met in the open air on this hill. Now, sometimes it's, it's translated as Mars Hill, um, uh, the hill of Ares. If you just translate that into, um, into the Roman, it's Mars, the hill of um, Mars. It's the names of the god. When Paul got to Athens, the incredible riches that had existed in this city had been plundered. Uh, that had happened uh, in 86 BC. And Paul looks round this city, takes time to look round the city, and sees these idols everywhere. And he addresses the men on Mars Hill. And there were some Stoics and Epicurean. These were the, these were the main philosophical think, uh, schools of philosophy at the time. And the Stoics taught that God, that a person's happiness depended on bringing themselves into harmony with the course of the universe, okay? And so you had to bear struggle and evil with indifference. And virtue was based on knowledge. The Epicureans believed that God, the gods were distant and remote and really wanted nothing to do with humans. The Epicureans believed that hedonism, ultimate pleasure, was more of a mental thing than a physical thing. But people should be free from the anxiety of what they feared of the gods. There's something else you need to know about the Areopagus, and it's this, that when Apollo founded the Areopagus, announcing that when a man dies and there's blood that is spilt, there is no resurrection. Now, in the philosophical thinking and in that statement, you can start to see what Paul was saying started to challenge some of what they were thinking. So why do we preach? To make known, just like Paul, to make known what is not yet known. See, what we believe often is only the result of the things that we've been told and believed and become familiar with. What we believe is only the result of the things that we've become familiar with, that we've been told over time. And when we hear difference, 
we react in two different ways. So in the story that Dave, the account that Dave read out, Paul's having this conversation and the people listening to him, some of them go, what an airhead. And others say, go on, tell us more. If we turn away, what happens is we end up stuck in what can be described as stinking thinking. If you don't engage with what's different, you become stuck in what can be described as stinking thinking. So here's what we currently believe. Imagine there's a box around me. Here's what I currently believe. And sometimes we can guard what we currently believe. We can put a fence around it and we can hold everyone else at bay from changing what we are thinking. And then someone comes along with some different thinking and they're over here. And when we preach and when we teach in a church, What's happening is we are being invited into this space, the in-between space. And it's a space that's full of tension and questions and wondering, and it's uncomfortable. We preach in order that we might invite tension into our status quo. We preach in order that we might invite tension into our status quo. In that uh, passage from Acts, it says this. Uh, the uh, Athenians say, this is a new one on us. We've never heard anything quite like it. Where did you come up with this? Explain it so that we can understand and so Paul took his stand in the open space and laid it out for them. It's plain to see that you Athenians take your religion seriously. When I arrived the other day, I was fascinated with all the shrines I came across. You see, tension, tension is a propellant for learning. Choosing not to stay here, but to allow ourselves, tell me more, go on, invites us to be people who will grow, who will allow the disruption to take place. Learning creates the possibility for transformation. Preaching creates the possibility for some movement towards transformation. Jesus did it all the time. We've talked about it before. Jesus did this thing called stringing pearls where he said, you have said, but I say to you. In the message translation, it's translated as, you're familiar with the commands of the ancients, but I say to you. You're familiar with the commands of the ancients, do not commit murder. 
But I'm telling you that anyone who in so much as is angry with a brother or sister is guilty. You have heard it said. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I'm, I'm smart. I've learned that stuff. But I say to you, Tension. Tension. We preach in order to learn from what has been and reimagine it for the future. We are part of a tradition that is rich and wonderful and at exactly the same time hideous and awful. And many of us in this church alone have been on the receiving end of the hideous and the awful. The misunderstood. But the tradition is also rich and wonderful. Paul presents to the people in, uh, on the hill in Athens some teaching that was in stark contrast to everything that they believed. He taught about the resurrection. It's true that the shape of our knowledge becomes the shape of our living. When we are listening to preaching and we are hearing things and it is new stuff, we have the opportunity for all that is new to transform us and help us live a different kind of life, one that is rich and wonderful and not tainted by the hideous and the awful. And Paul is really clear with the Athenians, Jesus is the sign of all being made new. Which means everything is new. Life can be characterized by forgiving and including and restoring and loving We preach to announce a new order and good news at every layer and level of life. There's a Greek word, metanoia, which means to change one's mind, to turn around, to think differently, to turn towards a different way, a different direction. In verse 30 of that passage, we read, Paul says to them, the unknown is now known and God is calling for a radical life change. Preaching is a declaration of revolution and it paints a sketch of a different way for everything to be.
We preach to meet people where they are and take them by the hand to a new possibility. In their and in your grief and loss and despair and your debt and your loneliness and your chaos and your struggle and your family breakdown and your employment and your unemployment and in your illness and everything else, we preach so that somehow something sacred takes you and us together by the hand and takes us to a new possibility. And those listening to Paul said, let's do this again. We want to hear more. So we preach because we take the Bible seriously. We preach because we are in our faltering steps seeking to follow Jesus seriously. We preach because we still have lots to learn. We don't believe that the conversation and questioning is over. We're eager and we're restless. Vincent Donovan is a, a Catholic um, missionary who went to work with the Maasai. And this quote um, is, I think, a, a just brilliant, brilliant um, lens that we should hold on every, everything. Any time anybody's up here or you hear anybody speaking or anything that's happening in and through what we do, this, I think, says everything. Never accept or be content with unanalyzed un un assumptions. Assumptions about the work, about the people, about the church or Christianity. Never be afraid to ask questions about the work we have inherited or the work we are doing. There is no question that should not be asked or that is outlawed. The day we are completely satisfied with what we have been doing, the day we have found the perfect, unchangeable system of work, the perfect answer, never in need of being corrected again, on that day we will know that we are wrong. That we have made the greatest mistake of all. We preach to learn. We preach to learn. And we preach from here every Sunday. But we also preach from here. Your life. My life. This is our preach. This is our preach when we leave here. So let's pray together. God, may our lives speak. 
May our lives speak of following you. May our lives speak of the known God. May our lives speak of the resurrected Jesus. May our lives speak of your kingdom come. May our lives be evidence itself of you at work in us and through us. And God, may we never, ever, ever stop learning. Amen.